Hello! My name is Mariana and I'm so glad that you clicked this button. We're about to have a special time together here. Pastor Alan is going to come and share another message in our God's Name series that we're diving in on who God is and enjoying His amazing nature. And right following the message, we're going to have a conversation with Alan about it and ask questions and share insights. So Pastor Bruce is going to be here with me. So stick around to join that conversation. And for everything that is happening here at Christ Community, please visit our app. You're going to find all the information and resources for you. So here's Alan. Enjoy this message. Hey, Christ community, I am so glad to be a part of your spiritual journey today. It is hard to believe that Easter is just two weeks away. Um, I can't wait to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with our church family. Feel free to invite friends to attend one of our services or to engage online. You can check out our app or newsletter for details about service times. Uh, just a, a quick logistical thing, but usually our 9.30 a.m. service is the most crowded. So if you're coming to a service, in person and are able to attend one of the other three services, either Saturday at four or eight or 11 on Sunday, that would be great. All right, we are nearing the end of a teaching series in which we're exploring together this very significant passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 34. And what makes this passage so impactful is that in it, God reveals himself to us. He reveals to us his name, which is a Hebrew way of saying, he reveals to us what he's really like. And so we're spending several weeks walking phrase by phrase through this passage. And it has been so fun. Uh, we have one more week to go. Um, so far, we have seen how God reveals himself as being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. I mean, our God is amazing. He is beyond what we could ever imagine him to be in terms of his goodness. So this brings us to verse seven, where God describes another very powerful attribute about himself, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Our God is a God of forgiveness. He is a forgiver. This is a core part of who he is. I love how Bible a scholar, Douglas Stewart, articulates this in his commentary on Exodus. He writes, God does not reluctantly forgive sins. He does so eagerly as a manifestation of his character. I love that. God is eager to forgive. He can't wait to forgive. He is not a bitter, angry God who occasionally parses out snippets of forgiveness if he's in a good mood or if you catch him on a good day. No, every day is a good day in terms of who God is. He is a God who is eager to forgive us, who loves to forgive. This is who he is. This is his heart posture towards us. Now, on one level, I think we all know this, right? We, we, we know about God's forgiveness. The question is, are we fully living in this reality? Are we truly experiencing the power of forgiveness? For some of us, if we're honest, for some of us, our reality is, is a nagging sense of guilt or shame or regret. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? We secretly live um, with this cloud of past failures and mistakes that never seems to lift. For others of us, this idea of forgiveness has become, honestly, it's kind of become old news. We've sort of settled into this attitude, hey, well, Jesus has forgiven my sins, so that's all done. I don't need to really think about God forgiving me. That's all been taken care of. And really in both of those scenarios, we're missing out on the beauty and the transformative power of God's forgiveness. So, so let's explore 
uh, a bit further, this idea of forgiveness of God being a forgiving God. Now, what we need to realize right off the bat is that forgiveness is a crucial part of the entire story of humanity as described in the Bible. So in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are created by God to be his image bearers, his ambassadors, and they're placed in an amazing garden full of life and provision and joy and peace and relational connectedness. I mean, this original garden is a place of shalom, which is the Hebrew word for wholeness of being. So they're in right relationship with God, with each other, with creation. Now in this garden, God encourages them. He encourages them to enjoy all that this garden contains, except for one thing. God commands Adam and Eve to not eat from a particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, one day, Adam and Eve are enticed by an enemy um, and by their own desires to eat of this particular tree. They disobeyed God's command, which resulted in God completely removing Adam and Eve from this beautiful garden. And God places on the east side of this Garden of Eden, remember that for later, the east side of the Garden of Eden, he places there an angel with a flaming sword to keep them away from the tree of life. Adam and Eve's experience in these chapters set the stage really for the entire story of the Bible, which is, which is the story of us as human beings being exiled from the garden because of our sin, which raises a very important issue. What exactly is sin? You know, most of us think of sin as a choice to disobey one of God's commands. I mean, that, that seemed to be what happened with Adam and Eve, right? End of story. But what we see in the account of Adam and Eve and in the rest of scripture is that sin is actually way more than that. In fact, let's go back to Exodus 34, verse seven. Notice how God describes sin. God says he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What we see here in this description is a much larger understanding of what sin is. This word translated sin here literally means to miss the mark. Imagine an arrow being shot at a target and missing the bullseye. So, So to sin is to miss God's good and perfect desire and will for us. This word translated rebellion is describing a heart posture in which we know exactly what God says to do and we choose to do the opposite. I don't care what God says, I'm gonna do my own thing. And then this word translated wickedness is a word that speaks of twisting or perverting something. It takes something that is good and it distorts it, it twists it. I mean, that's what sin does. It's not simply the disobeying of some command. As we see in the the Adam and Eve story, their sin had a huge and immediate impact on their relationship with God and with each other. In Genesis 2, they were nice to each other. They were affirming each other. But immediately after their sin, they start blaming each other and avoiding each other. In Genesis 2, they felt accepted and valued just as they were. But after their sin, they now felt unacceptable. They're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God. What we see here in Exodus 34 and in Genesis 3 is that sin is not simply doing something wrong. Sin is a destructive power that, that is unleashed through the choices we make. It impacts our hearts. It impacts our attitude towards ourselves and others. It poisons the soil of relationships and attitudes with judgment and guilt and shame. I mean, we all know this to be the case in our own lives, don't we? 
I mean, we all have personal experience with this. Just think of an area of sin that you struggle with. Maybe it's greed, it's love of money, or maybe it's lust, or, or perhaps it's a tendency to lie to people, or maybe it's outbursts of anger. So think about that area. And then there's this question, how has that impacted your life? How has that sin impacted your relationships, your intimacy with God, your joy and peace? Has that sin deepened your experience of shalom, of wholeness? No. You know, when, you know, when I look at the, the devastation that my, my own anger or lust have caused in various areas of my life, I know full well that sin is not just the breaking of some command. It is a devastating power. Sin causes us to miss good things that God has for us. It, it, it causes good things in our lives to get bent and distorted and twisted. In other words, sin removes us from the garden, from our experience of the garden. It, it shatters our experience of, of wholeness, of shalom. But often we don't really see sin that way. I was at a Special Olympics basketball practice for my son a few weeks ago. And as I was sitting on the side of the court, I got into a conversation with another dad there. You know, we, we've been chatting during practices for the past several weeks. And so at one point in this conversation, we started talking about church and, and I asked him, do you have any church background? And he said, no, we sort of went to one church in another city a few years ago, but it didn't really connect. And then he said, I got so turned off by churches telling me in the first five minutes what a lousy sinner I am. Uh, and I, and I, I said, yeah, it's interesting how this thing called good news often gets shared in a way that makes it feel like bad news. Well, well then I, th- I was thinking about what he said. And so a couple of minutes later, I said, you know, there, there is something interesting about that sin thing. I said, you know, as, as parents, we teach and urge our children to not lie and to share and to be kind to other people, not because we're wanting to control them. We do it because we know that if they start lying to people or if they're not kind to people, that will impact their ability to keep a job or to have friends. And so I, so I said, when God warns us about sin, it's because his heart is good and he wants us to avoid these things that will cause us damage. You know, he started nodding. I mean, you could tell that this was a completely different way of talking about sin than he was used to. For so many people, their picture of God is that he is this stern control freak who has a very long list of arbitrary commands. And if we don't do them, he gets mad and he can't wait to punish us for not obeying his list. But, but that is to completely miss the nature of sin as well as the heart of God. God urges us to not sin because he knows how damaging and devastating that sin will be in our lives. It is out of his heart of love and compassion for us that he urges us not to sin because he knows that sin will rob us of shalom, of wholeness. Sin will remove us from the beautiful garden in which he designed for us to live. And therein lies the problem, right? We're we're just like Adam and Eve. We get seduced by sin. We choose to do our own thing. We miss the mark. And the result is that we too are removed from the garden. We aren't able to experience the shalom and wholeness that God longs for us to experience. So how do we get back to the garden? How do we go back? How do we get back to this place of emotional and relational wholeness? Well, that question is the overall theme of the entire Bible. How do we, as people who have been and are being polluted by the power of sin, 
get back to the shalom of the garden. If, if, if we're left to fix this ourselves, we're in trouble. Our sin runs too deep. That would be the end of the story for us. But Exodus 33, 34, Exodus 34 lets us know that this is not the end of the story. We are not hopelessly banned from this experience of shalom, this experience of wholeness and life. And the reason we're not banned, this is not hopeless, is because there's a God who is actually intent upon getting us back into the garden. So how does this happen? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the doorway God has provided for us into wholeness. It is our entryway back into the garden. Thankfully, as we said earlier, our God is a forgiver. He is eager to forgive. This is a core part of his nature. So what exactly is this forgiveness and how does it get us back into the garden? Well, the answer to that question is found in this amazing and beautiful Hebrew word that is used here in Exodus 34, verse 7. The word used here is translated forgive, but the word used here is the word nasah, which like the word hesed last week, has a wide range of meaning. And when we explore all of them, we see how powerful God's forgiveness is. Now, the most basic meaning of this word, nasah, is to remove, to take away. And this is typically how we think of forgiveness. It is God wiping the slate clean, removing our sin, which is awesome, but there is more to this word. A second meaning to this word is to bear something. It is used to talk about the bearing of guilt or punishment on behalf of someone else. I mean, this is getting into how God, how God is going to forgive. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But the third and most common way that this word is used in the Hebrew Bible is the meaning to lift up. Earlier in Exodus, God uses this word, this word to describe what he has done for his people in rescuing them from Egypt. Check this out. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This phrase, carried you, is the word nasah. It is describing a God who personally lifts us up and rescues us and then brings us to himself. So put all three of these together and we have this amazing picture of God's heart in forgiving us. When, when God tells us that he is a God who is eager to, for, eager to forgive, he's describing his heart to remove our sin by bearing the weight of that sin and his heart to deliver us from that sin in order to bring us to himself. I mean, do you see the beauty of what God is saying to us here? Through forgiveness, God is providing a way for us to return to the experience of wholeness in the garden, which is awesome. Okay, so the critical question is, how does he do this? How does he do this? How does God bring about this amazing and transformative experience of forgiveness so that we can experience the shalom of the garden. Well, this, this again is where the entire story of the Bible helps us have a front row seat into God's plan. Okay, so for most of the Old Testament, the people of God are sinning and rebelling against God, which eventually results in them being taken into exile in Babylon. Now, Babylon was the worst of all places in terms of violence and greed and godlessness and idolatry. But because of their sin, God allowed them, God allowed Israel to be taken captive and exiled to Babylon. Now, any idea where Babylon was located? 
It was east of the Garden of Eden. This very area described in Genesis 3, when, where Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. See, this is a continual theme of the Bible. We are exiled from the garden, so how do we get back to the garden? Well, here's what is so cool. While they are in exile in Babylon, separated from the blessing of the land God had given them, the prophet Isaiah receives a message for these exiled people about a future Messiah, but not the Messiah the Israelites were wanting to hear about. They wanted to hear about a Messiah who was gonna squash Babylon and restore David's military kingdom. But God had a different kingdom in mind, a different purpose for his Messiah. Check this out from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up, that's the word Nassah, our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, i.e. shalom, was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is he talking about? Jesus. The prophet Isaiah was looking years into the future and specifically pointing towards Jesus, the Messiah, who would bear our sin and take our punishment on the cross so that we can experience forgiveness. And notice, according to Isaiah, this forgiveness includes not just the washing away of our sin, but also the experience of true freedom and healing and wholeness. Shalom, right? The God who revealed himself in Exodus 34 as a forgiver of wickedness, rebellion, and sin has provided a way for us to experience the restoration and joy and wholeness of God's forgiveness. That way is Jesus. The shed blood of Jesus is our entryway back into the garden. So the question is, how do we experience this kind of forgiveness? Not simply as head knowledge, but as a transformational reality. Well, there are actually two aspects of this forgiveness in Christ that God invites us to embrace. First, the amazing forgiveness of God bestows upon us a new identity, a new identity. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. So in his death on the cross, he paid for all of our sins. And what this means is that when we turn to Jesus in faith, at that moment, our sins are completely forgiven, past, present, and future. To use New Testament language, at that moment, we are justified. Justified, which means just as if I'd never sinned. God permanently declares us not guilty. We are declared by him to be completely righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And this declaration then gives us a new status, a new identity. In God's eyes, we are no longer sinners. We are his beloved children, period. Nothing can change that. 
It is a gift God bestows upon us through the blood of Jesus, the suffering Messiah. So if you have received Jesus, you are completely forgiven. God doesn't see or remember your sin. It is gone. Now, some people will say, well, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Yeah, I can't forgive myself for what I've done. And look, I understand that. I've been there, but think about this. If God is not holding this against you, why would you keep holding it over yourself? Let it go. Who are you to demand a higher bar of forgiveness than God himself does? Let it go. Jesus' blood is more than enough to cover whatever you and I have done. So let's let the success of Jesus on the cross determine our identity rather than letting our failures determine our identity. You are forgiven completely. You are forgiven. Okay, so that's one crucial aspect of our experiencing God's forgiveness. It's living in this new identity as his beloved sons and daughters. But that's not the complete picture of our experience of forgiveness. See, once we have entered into this relationship with God through Christ Jesus, and we have had our sins forgiven, the power of sin in our lives doesn't just go away. It doesn't disappear. It is still very much a part of our everyday choices, our everyday lives. And this is why we need the second aspect of forgiveness is what I call a transformative vulnerability. A transformative vulnerability. What what do I mean by that? Well, as I said earlier, if sin is a power that continues to pull at us and twist our thinking and mess up our lives, then we need our experience of forgiveness to be transformative. Not just a one-time thing when we become Christians. We need an experience of forgiveness that is changing us, that's empowering us to increasingly choose to live in the shalom of the garden. Do you ever wonder why if Jesus has forgiven all of our sin, He still urges us in the Lord's prayer to pray, forgive us our sins. Why does he want us to continually ask for something that's already happened? See, this is not about us needing forgiveness as a way to get back into God's favor. No, he he loves us. His face is towards us. Jesus paid for all of our sin. So why this command to regularly pray for forgiveness? Well, look, it's not about God's heart posture towards us. It's about our heart posture toward him. When we run to Jesus in order to confess a sin to him, what we're doing is welcoming him into that place. We're allowing his presence to not only cleanse us, but to also provide the very thing we were looking for in our sin. As many people way smarter than me have discovered through research, when someone, for instance, is looking at porn, it's not sex they're after. It's a longing to feel accepted, a desire for intimacy, which porn can't satisfy. When someone struggles with anger, often that anger is actually rooted in fear. It's rooted in a fear of failure, a fear of losing power or control. When someone struggles with greed and not being generous, that struggle is often rooted in a longing for security or this need to look successful. See, no wonder the pull of these things can be so powerful in our lives. They are all wrapped up in these deep longings and fears that we have in our hearts. If we ignore these things 
at a deep level, if we ignore these things, they will continue to thrive in secret. Okay, but here's the deal. When we confess these things to the Lord, we bring them out of hiding and into the light where life is found. In that place of forgiveness, Jesus' love meets us in our fears and in our longing for acceptance and our desire for security. His love becomes a greater power than our sin because it gets at the root of what is moving us to sin in the first place. So his love has the power to change our hearts so that we more and more long for his holiness, for his wholeness. We increasingly choose his pathway, his will, rather than our own will. And the reason we choose his will is because now we want that. See, that's the power of God's forgiveness. No wonder he is so eager and willing to forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's because in that place of confession and experiencing forgiveness, we experience his heart more deeply. I mean, do do we really believe? Let me just ask, do you really believe that our God is a God who is eager to forgive us? Do we really believe that? Here's an easy way to tell. The next time you give into some sin, the next time you blow it, pay attention to your instinctive response to that failure. Is your instinctive response to run to God with that sin or to run away from God, to hide from him? See, if our instinctive response after failure, if our instinctive response is to want to run away from God because we feel like a loser, then we're not really believing what God says about himself in Exodus 34. We're not embracing the wonder of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Friends, your God, Yahweh, your God is eager to forgive you no matter what you've done. This is not just something he does. This is who he is. His arms are open wide to you 24-7. And the reason is because he longs for you and me to experience his shalom, his wholeness. He invites us to live in the beauty of the Garden of Eden. And his forgiveness is what enables that to happen. So let's not run from it or hide from it or ignore it. Let's embrace it and let Jesus transform us in that place. All right, let's pray together. And as you're quieting your heart, I'd like to lead you in a couple of responses here. First of all, is an invitation to enter into this new identity as a beloved son or daughter of God. That salvation, that relationship is a gift that God offers us through the blood of Jesus. So if you have never placed your trust in Jesus for your relationship with God, not talking about not of not placing your trust in what you do and the good deeds, all that. I'm talking about placing your trust in Jesus alone. If you've never done that, then I would encourage you to pray along with me right now in the silence of your heart. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I place my trust in you and I receive this new identity. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I ask you to fill me now with your Holy Spirit. 
changing me from the inside out. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this relationship with you, this new identity that they are now completely forgiven. So help them live in that new identity. Second response here, I want to I want to invite you just to imagine, just as you're closing your eyes, just imagine that you're standing in front of Jesus and you're holding in your hands a sin that you struggle with. And just take a moment and look at that sin. Maybe it's a sin you haven't thought about for a while, but the Holy Spirit's bringing it to mind. Or maybe it's a sin you're very much aware of, very familiar with. So as you look at this sin, just ask your heart, what am I really longing for when I choose this path, when I give in to this sin? What am I, or what am I afraid of? We're just exploring this sin in the Lord's presence. What's at the root of that? So now, instead of beating yourself up for that sin, we do enough of that. But instead of doing that, I want you to imagine yourself handing that sin, all of it, just handing it over to Jesus. Just give it to him. And as you do that, pay attention to what he does with it. Now ask him, Jesus, what do you want to give me in exchange for that sin? What does he want to give you? It's probably the thing that your heart truly longs for, right? So just let him give that to you. Receive that from him with an open heart. God, we rejoice. We rejoice in your amazing forgiveness. Your heart is to forgive So Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us so that we could experience that forgiveness personally and we can live in the shalom that it brings. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Alan, thank you for that message so much so much to meditate on and i think this is definitely one of those that depending on where we are in our journey it's some very deep and meaningful things for us to allow to take root so we were just starting the conversation here and bruce do you want to share that thought we're like no wait turn on the camera (laughs) yeah one of the things that uh just really struck me in hearing the message was Back to my earlier days when I was involved in street evangelism in New York City, and I had a passion for reaching people for Christ. And going into the training for that, so much time was spent on making sure in whatever we said publicly, we convinced people of how sinful we were. So if we were to give street evangelistic messages, we were to spend almost half of the time convincing people that they were sinners, and then the other half of the time presenting the gospel. And it just really struck me as you were speaking that 
Over the years, I never, I have found I've really not had to convince people very much that they're sinners. Most people are very aware of their own brokenness, their own sin, their own shortcomings. And the flip side is also true that most people are, think that God is distant from them as a result of that. Mm. And so I've really flipped that around, really convincing them that mm -hmm. God is for you. So if I'm presenting the gospel to person, it's God is first and foremost in your court. He loves you. He stands ready to forgive you. Mm -hmm. And yes, sin is an issue that must be dealt with, but God did that because he has a loving eagerness mm -hmm. to engage with you right where you are. Yeah. And it's just caused me to rethink that. But your message kind of brought me back to those earlier days mm -hmm. in my walk with God. And mm -hmm. How did yeah. they train you to do that in terms of <laughs> like convincing people their sin. It was like Bible verse or what was that? It was Bible verses. It was the Just, list, you know, here are the lists. Have you ever, and sure. you know, make sure that you address these things. It was yeah. all very behavioral uh -huh. um, and kind of framing it up within your message. It was all the symptoms of the deeper issue of sin. It wasn't yeah. very heart focused. Mm. It was sins, plural, not core sin mm. issue. And what's really beneath the surface Hmm. But it was there was so much time spent on sin, and even the churches that I grew up in as a kid, uh -huh. great churches, loved the Lord, awesome people, and the Bible was taught. But there was what I want to call a worm theology that mm -hmm. kind of emerged where there was almost a glory in feeling like I was groveling in my sin and I wasn't getting ahead of it. And, uh, you know, wow, to fully worm embrace theology. The, yeah. Hold on, warm theology. I need to sit on that. Worm. worm. I'm <laughs> well, sorry. you're from Brazil. It's I'm sorry. W-O-R-M. <laughs> that's what I was saying. It's yeah. my accent. Okay. The, warm, the warm theology. Yeah, there we go. Because of I'm a warm. That's scripture, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry for interrupting, but that's a, <laughs> that's a great uh, title for this mindset. So you're yeah, saying, it was sorry. like that. There was a glory and groveling in my sinfulness, right. and never fully embracing the forgiveness. It was very intellectual. It was very yeah, it's happened. It was very judicial. Uh -huh. But the whole idea of my forgiveness being experienced on an emotional level was just foreign. And I don't know at what point in my journey I really internalized, and I'm probably still working through it, but. Mm. That was a core part of my being, the emphasis on sin and groveling in sin and not really embracing mm -hmm. the joy of forgiveness that God longs to give. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, when you use the word judicial, I think that's, that's a really good picture of um, how uh, me, I also was taught. I, we view sin in a very judis judicial way, that we've broken a law. Mm -hmm. and, and there are certainly, that's certainly some scriptural theme to that. Mm -hmm. But when you, I think sometimes we get into trouble when we so narrowly define things in mm -hmm. Scripture, when we only look at it judicially, yeah. then we miss sort of what happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned. Suddenly they experienced shame. They were hiding. We, we see at a relational yeah. level the yeah. impact of sin. And I was right. trying to get at that in the sermon. Uh -huh. Otherwise... I think, oh, it's a sermon about forgiveness. I know about forgiveness. You know, and we sometimes just no. assume we know. Right. And, and so I was trying to get us to think about sin more deeply than just right. the judicial. And that it actually, and that's where you say, I think when people honestly look at their emptiness, uh -huh. their hiddenness, right. rather than a list, did you lie today? Did you cheat? You know, it's, <laughs> it's what about the emptiness I feel? It's this shalom, this longing for shalom that we're yeah. missing out on. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mm -hmm. think we need both of, you know, when we talk about sin, sort of, I think we, we really need to add in yeah. that whole idea of shalom, 
that yeah. sin, it causes us to be removed from the, the experience of the garden, which is what mm -hmm. God wants for exactly. us. Right. Right. It's yeah. missing out on what it was supposed to be. Yes. And that's why I think it's such, it truly is something for us to keep chewing on because we can all say, I know what forgiveness is. I yeah. know. But then listening to our message, you know, I'm thinking how many areas that I may not be experiencing the, the fullness of it because what you said may be, where God has forgiven me, I have not forgiven myself. Where are these places where I'm struggling, but mm -hmm. I'm cause I'm imposing that on me? It's nothing that God is doing. And I think on what you said too, I love bringing the question: Does my sin uh, cause me to run to God or run away from God? Yeah. I think that's such oh, it's huge. a yeah. huge question because the awareness of sin on itself. Sure, it's important, but what do you do with it? Does yeah. it cause you to be closer to Jesus yeah. or move you away from Jesus? Yeah, it's kind of, and we set ourselves up for that with the theology. Because sure. the theology is God hates you, yep. but, his, but Jesus died for you. So if you just receive Jesus, then suddenly this light turns on and God likes you now. It, it's like people can't make that shift like, right. what is God like? Is he mad at me or is he, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think one? there's. Or is he right. schizophrenic? You know, it's who wants to relate to a God like that? Well, exactly. And so then it's fear and, and right. I, I got to receive Christ because I want to go to hell. And, you know, this, it's. And I, I want to feel just, awful about my sin because yeah. if I don't feel awful about my sin, then That's I'm not really okay. not a motivated Christian to live a holy life. I know. And what if. What a what horrible if, paradigm. It is. <laughs> That's why I wonder. Um, in this conversation with this person, I didn't share this in the sermon, but in this conversation with this person at this basketball mm -hmm. thing, I ended up telling him, because he had no con no knowledge of the Bible or anything, mm -hmm. and, and I, I was just like, okay, how, do I, how do I approach this or whatever? And I ended up telling him, hey, why don't you read the Bible? We were talking about that, and I ended up saying, um, it, it, when you, if you start in the book of Luke, make sure you get to Luke 15. And so then I started telling the story of the prodigal son. Mm. And I thought, why don't we use that story to talk about, to share the gospel, yeah. you know, rather than the, you're terrible, you're a worm, you're whatever, and God really doesn't like you very much. But if you receive Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. And then suddenly, you know, that picture mm -hmm. of the prodigal son, mm -hmm. it starts at a much different place. It sure does. And it shows how sin removes us from our experience of the Father's love. Yeah. And, and the Father is still looking. Yeah. He's always looking. Longing, eager, right. using the word here, but right? Man, we, yeah. don't, we don't share the gospel. I wish we, I don't know, it just got me thinking, man, let's use the prodigal son to share right. the gospel with people. Yeah. Because that story resonates with people. They've yeah. been in the pig, you know, after sin. Sin sure. has done the damage. Right. But to know that they have a God who actually, he hasn't turned away. He's looking for right. them. And he's yeah. wanting them to right. come mm -hmm. right into his love and home and all that. Well, and even how yeah. the son kind of slinks back to his father and says, could I be a hired hand? Exactly. And so his heart, he realized the impact of his sin and what he had done to his father. Yes. And he was overwhelmed by the lavish love and father's heart to restore him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was and unexpected. It was unexpected, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's definitely that misunderstanding as as it has been a theme over the the series here how we don't understand the full picture of who God is. Right. We may get, oh, on this topic, I know God. I and you get this slice of whether it's the judicial or what these mm-hmm. other examples we've used, but not but how about this? But how about this? And they are all biblical images of who God is in this area and then we misunderstood we misunderstand his heart of forgiveness. We misunderstand what forgiveness is in the first place yes. and what forgiveness should be causing in our lives if we were to fully experience yeah. it. We misunderstand what sin is. So it's a domino effect of misunderstandings. Yeah. I think uh, that was that was uh, new to me kind of in studying this too, was just thinking about those two aspects of forgiveness. And yeah. we really need to grow in both of them. One exactly. is my sin's been paid for, I don't want to have carry regret and right. I can't forgive myself. And so there's one side of that. We really want to live in the justification that is ours, what Christ has done. But as you were mentioning there, I do that was the kind of a new thought for me that forgiveness actually is a pathway to my transformation mm-hmm. in choosing, you know, to not sin. It's knowing yeah. God's forgiveness is available and welcoming him into that place actually be- brings transformation. And yeah. I think uh, uh, sometimes we, we can miss forgiveness on either one of those. Yeah. Right. The justification side or the actual just uh, transformational running to Jesus mm-hmm. rather than away from him because I messed yeah. up. and It, it cultivates that. things in our soul, mm-hmm. I think, if we fully mm-hmm. get that second part, that God longs right. to plant there that we can't fully receive if the, our, the soil of our heart is hardened because right. we haven't really considered that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I was telling you earlier about your book and... If you haven't read Alan's book, highly recommended. The good news for good trying book. harder. Good book. <laughs> <laughs> but no joke. The, in in your book, when you're preaching it, the the image came when you're making the point of the sinful woman who is pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet, while the Pharisee who was hosting Jesus in his home is missing out on experiencing Jesus, and the sinful woman is having an incredibly meaningful, deep experience of worship in her brokenness and how this posture of repentance, you know, the point you make, it's not for God, it's for us. And that opportunity to meet Jesus in that place. So rather than shut us off or rather than making us feel guilty or whatever, it's that opportunity for a, a depth of encounter and worship that we wouldn't have otherwise and realizing you know, my if it wasn't for my brokenness, I wouldn't need Jesus so desperately. You know, like it moves me to Him and to receive. Yes. I wouldn't need the gospel otherwise. Yeah. So counterintuitive. Right. Even in that story, I think Jesus then says, he who is forgiven little loves little. Right. Uh-huh. Which is the Pharisee. Didn't uh-huh. think he really needed forgiveness. Uh-huh. But this woman who knew she needed forgiveness, she loves much. Yes. And man, when we uh, keep running to Jesus and understand his forgiving heart, you're right. We're stepping into this amazing love from God, right? To experience that. And Mary, I used the term enjoy. Right. You know, I'm reminded of one of the great confessions of the faith, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and And to enjoy enjoy him him. forever. 
And if I don't fully get this area of forgiveness, hmm, I can't fully enjoy God. Yep. I can't fully enjoy the life that he has given to me and his son Jesus. I can't fully embrace the life that he wants me to live mm-hmm. and to engage with my sinfulness and brokenness in a yeah. way that, that shows that it's been taken care of. And God longs for me to be transformed into the image of Jesus mm-hmm. day by day. But, but just that word enjoy, mm-hmm. am I fully enjoying who I am as a son of God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really true. You can't, if God is this angry, vindictive sort of God that we often envision him to be, if he's mad at me, it's really hard to enjoy yeah. a God who I think is sort right. of mad at me. Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to talk about that last part of this and uh, about God's wrath and anger and, and sort of how to put that in this whole package in a way that it totally fits. Yeah. But I do think our per- that goes back to this question of our perception of God has yeah. such an impact mm-hmm on our desire to enjoy Him, to want to be with Him, to want to grow in a relationship with Him. If we perceive Him in in an unhealthy, really, I would say, unbiblical way, Mm -hmm. when you look at the whole story of Scripture, it has a huge impact on us. Yeah, Yeah, it does. For sure. I kind of want to ask you something else, Alan. Just in in your personal journey, uh, and you have shared several times you're, you're more being more bent to be more performance-oriented. And I'm just curious because there are so many people that struggle with it. You know, yeah. How do you handle when you are harder on yourself than mm. how, how hard God is? You know, like it, mm-hmm. And you mentioned something like, how can we dare to put our bar higher than God's, or if He has forgiven you, how can you not? I just personally would love to hear a bit of your personal experience of that. Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like I'm still on that journey continually because I am harder. I'm just hard on myself in terms of because of that bent, that wiring, kind of like the elder brother from last week. Um, I tell you, the thing that has helped me more than anything it ha- I mean, I've known it theologically, the right answers for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's helped me more than anything is, again, when I am able to experience the Father's love for me, Mm -hmm. and so using biblical imagination, things like that, when I'm able to place myself in the story of the prodigal son, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, and I experience his love um, as uh, foundationally, even the Lord's Prayer starts, Our Father, when when I start there in Mm -hmm. prayer, Knowing this good father, his heart is toward me. That has just emotionally connected yeah. with me at a level that enables me, I think, to experience his forgiveness more fully mm-hmm. than just theologically, you know, right. in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Beyond that's the, the knowing. It but is. The, yeah. It's the Holy Spirit, Be- Romans 8. God did not give you a spirit, you know, that, um, that, kind of a spirit of fear. fear. It's the a fear of punishment, I think he refers to there. But he mm. gave you the spirit of adoption. Mm. And then he says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Yeah. It's when I started to learn how to hear that voice, uh-huh. yeah. the spirit testifying with my spirit that I'm his child, mm-hmm. when that became more real to me internally, is mm-hmm. I feel like has helped me grow in my experience of God's forgiveness and, you know, not being as 
hard on myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. acceptance. Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah. it's uh, it's still something I struggle with, you know. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Sure. And as you're sharing that, I just feel led to to remind you that we have this ministry here called Hope Abounds, yeah. and it's a great place. If this is something that you're really wrestling with, just go on our web or ab- website or send us a message, and we would love to connect with you to kind of search deeper these deeper places yeah. that you might be longing for forgiveness that you're having a hard time navigating yeah. on your own. So That's a great yeah. reminder. Yeah. Good word. Well, thank you guys for thank you. this great thank conversation. You. Thank yeah, you for joining us. Yeah. Yes, and we'll see you next time.